We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always by my co-host, Nick Bellato. As the days roll by, we're getting closer and closer to the general manager, the next general manager, say, of the New York football Giants being hired. I think we'll have some news in the coming days. You might be listening to this and the news might already have broken. We hope not, but it's possible. And, you know, Before we do that, me and Nick wanted to take some time to kind of reflect on the lessons from the 2021 season. This podcast is going to be all about what we learned in 2021, because at least to me, it was a very surprising season. The Giants went all in on their free agency approach. They moved back contracts they needed to to keep them on the roster. They added a coverage corner to Dory Jackson, who I thought could kind of transform the scheme. Xavier McKinney emerged as kind of a player who can be trusted in single high looks. Again, someone I thought could rearrange what the Giants are able to do and take that defense to the next level. I thought they would get some immediate impacts from their rookies, especially Aziz Ojolari. And then, of course, I thought, you know, Kenny Galladay coming in and some improvement from the scheme, from the offensive line, from especially Daniel Jones taking more of a leap would lead to a lot of wins, would lead to a competitive team. It was the opposite. So when it happens like that, I mean, Nick was on to this early. He saw after that third preseason game, he's like, Listen, <laughs> that offensive line, it's going to be hard to move the ball down. He's right. I mean, this was the best season. One lesson we learned already, and we'll get into that. It's a little bit of a spoiler, is something we already knew. We learned it in the Super Bowl last year. We've learned it over the years of following this team. You just can't go anywhere without at least a competent offensive line. It doesn't have to be the five, one of the five or six best. It doesn't have to be one of the ten best, but it can't be one of the five worst. And we learned that this year. You just can't go anywhere with it. I mean, there are some exceptions. Obviously, the Bengals have graded out as one of the five worst pass protection teams in the NFL this year, but they have been able to move the ball well, specifically as of late, as they've gone to a more pass-heavy game script. But it's rare to find an exception. I mean, even last year in the Super Bowl, Mahomes couldn't do anything with a devastatingly bad offensive line. So 
maybe that's one lesson that I should have learned early as Nick did <laughs> early in the preseason. But I will say this. We want to find out all the reasons of what happened and what we can learn from this and how the Giants can learn from this and improve moving forward. So we're going to get to all of the stuff. We want to talk a little bit about uh, the GM search as well. So I want to toss it over to you there, Nick, first. Let's before we get into the lessons learned, let's talk about this. First of all, how are you doing, my friend? It's been a while. It's been a week for us. So that's a long time in the Giants timeline, in our timeline, in the big blue banter timeline. But how are you doing, my friend? And also, what are your thoughts on the Giants GM search so far? So I'm doing well. I just had a birthday. I spent it up in Sedona, Arizona with my girlfriend. And Sedona is this beautiful place with these red rock formations everywhere. It's kind of astounding to see, to be honest. So we hiked a bunch of trails out there, went to Devil's Bridge. It was a lot of fun. So if anybody's ever in the Phoenix area, it's about two hours north of Phoenix, head on up to Sedona and check it out. I'm sure you would love just the overall essence of the place. It's pretty unique. And as far as the GM search, Dan, I'm glad they're casting a wide net as we've kind of covered extensively on the podcast in the past. And the fact that they're going outside of the organization, which I feel like had to happen because the status quo has not necessarily yielded any success in the last decade. Yeah, Nick, first of all, happy birthday, my friend. I know I wished you it on your actual birthday, but to all the listeners, it was Nick's birthday. And I do believe I have heard, not com- not confirmed, but I have heard that he did actually break his 30 sugar and 100 carb max for the day i heard he you know just a little bit i mean he went over <laughs> the mark usually you know he used to be a uh i believe back in the day nick's beer of choice was michelob ultra am i right i was never really a beer guy but yeah it would probably be that or bud light lime which i'm gonna take a crap load <laughs> bud light lime. i feel like that's way, way too many calories for you first of all but i had heard previously it was michelob ultra you're a big ultra guy uh, i don't know if anyone who listens to our podcast regularly would find that all that surprising but did you treat yourself to any ultras no absolutely not i mean i i just don't like beer it's too acidic for me so i just had a little bit of jameson and ginger ale which is uh you know I, i'm a whiskey guy or bourbon I guy. ginger ale yeah. am i right yeah of course, man. Oh, you know me. Of course. You know me very well. I'm throwing not. 20 grams of sugar into your drink. Are you crazy? All right. But, <laughs> but he did enjoy his birthday. And I got to get out there, man, because it is beautiful out by where you live. And I wanted to do some hikes out there. So we'll talk after the pod. We got to set up something. Uh, definitely want to visit, add that to another state to my list uh, out west. But as far as the Giants general manager search goes far, goes so far, I've actually seen, you know, you know, Seth Walder today tweeted something, I believe it was Seth Walder, tweeted something about, you know, hem Giants, kind of, you know, another shot at the Giants, saying, you know, a lot of these great teams right now are going a different route with their GM search. They're looking for kind of a accountant to be the GM and then to load up a staff with football guys to scout the players. And the Giants aren't doing that, he said. And I can understand his take there. It's not a bad take, but I'm completely fine with not going that route if you're going to find someone who has a little bit of both. And from everything I've heard about Joe Shane, uh, Joe Shane. And from everything I've heard about all of the finalists in the GM search right now, Peter, Shane, uh, and obviously some people believe right now Shane is the favorite from what I've heard. But no matter who it is, all of their finalists I've heard have a little bit of both. They have a little bit of accounting to them. You know, they're not just full out football guys. They're not the Dave Gettleman's of the world. They're not living in 1980s when, you know, running the football and running backs are your top priority. They have a different point of view that they're bringing to the mix. And they've all worked for successful organizations. And like you said, they've cast a wide net. So I know a lot of people were hating on there, or maybe not a lot, but Seth Walder, whoever tweeted it out, hated on him. And there was some follow-up to that. And it's like, oh, you know, the same old Giants, the crappy Giants, the Giants way. But I'll, I'll be honest with you, Nick. I didn't find that to be the case. I feel like from what I've gathered about all of these 
uh, finalists for the GM search, they all kind of have a little bit of both. Yes, which is something that we want as well. And honestly, like like we've said several times on the podcast, it, we can't dive into the X's and O's of these general managers. It's a little bit more difficult and nuanced than that. But you do want somebody who is going to carry a lot of praise, somebody who is actually deserving of the position and not somebody who is just linked to the Maras as Dave Gettleman was. And that seems like what the Giants are looking at right now across several different organizations. So we're going to be patient. We'll be covering it. And once the news breaks on who the general manager is, Dan and I are going to hop on here and discuss it. Yeah. And we'll discuss what he has to say, because that is important. Like, Keep in mind, there are no X's and O's, but at the same time, Dave Gettleman got here and he said a lot of things. Some of them came true. Some of them didn't. He said, I'm going to want to, the first thing I'm going to do is want to rebuild this offensive line. We, you know, we noticed this is a problem. Obviously he wasn't able to do it, but he also said, part of my philosophy is you got to be able to run the ball and stop the run. And he loaded up trying to do that. He put a lot of resources into that and they may not been the right way. Like drafting a running back doesn't necessarily mean you have a good run game. Obviously a lot of people would argue it has no real, not no real, but it doesn't have the main, uh, you know, weight on what a good run game is. Look at the 49ers, for example. I mean, anyone you put behind that scheme is running the ball. Well, but he did stick by his tenants and that could be the same for this next GM. I assume it will be. So I'm going to be really interested to see what he says as far as polls, Shane and Peters go. Those are the three finalists. Nick, do you have any preference or predictions? I, I'm probably, you're probably with me as far as we don't really have a preference just because of what you said. There's no X's and O's to go by, but you might still have one. So out of those three finalists, do you have a specific uh, preference or prediction? I don't necessarily have a specific preference, but my prediction just from what I'm seeing on Twitter and the overall feel of the situation, it would be Shane, who is from the Buffalo Bills, but I don't have any specific insight on that. It's just something that it's just more of a feel from everything that I'm collecting from people that I follow on Twitter. So I, I'm not certain of that, but if I had to pick someone, it would probably be Shane. Yeah, Matt would be my prediction as well, Jill Shane. I think that everything we've read, first of all, he really wants to be GM of the Giants. We know there's a connection there with Bean, with Gettleman, with the Giants, with Shane. I still think that he is going to be the one out of all these interviews who not necessarily impresses the, the, the decision makers the most, the Maritish and the other Maricris, but more so just shows the amount of enthusiasm and vision for what he thinks he can turn the Giants into. Probably a Bills part two in a lot of ways um, that it's going to convince them and he will be the pick. So we'll see what happens. That would be my guess. But let's turn the page a little bit here, Nick, and let's discuss some of the things we learned about the Giants in the 2021 season. You could even say for the year 2021, but let's specifically focus on the 2021 season. Me and Nick came up with five each year, and then we got a bonus one each. So I'll let you kick it off, Nick, with your first of the five. And I'll say this because we are doing podcasts like this in the future. There will be some overlap because me and Nick did not come up with these lists together. We came up with them on their own, but you'll just have to deal with that. And if there is overlap, maybe it just means it's even more, uh, you know, it's even more so of a good point or a good take. So I'll, I'll lean on that. Okay. So my first one, and this was an overall, I guess it was something the giants wanted to significantly upgrade. And that was the receiving weapons. So the official, I guess, wording I would say is prioritizing the receiving weapons won't fix a broken offense because Jason Garrett, his offense is, tailored or it's more suited to be in 2012 rather than 2021. It was unimaginative. There wasn't a lot of pre-snap motion. It relied a lot on quick reads based on pre-snap looks, a lot of, you know, Y stick, a lot of slant flat, a lot of simplified concepts. 
And what we all hoped and what the, I guess, story was, was, hey, if you upgrade the receivers, you add a Kenny Galladay, you bring in a Kadarius Tony instead of the Damian Ratleys of the world who played a lot of snaps in 2020 and the Austin Max, no shot at Austin Mack, but he's not Kenny Galladay. Then with Kenny Galladay and Kadarius Tony, the offense will run better. And that just wasn't the case, especially when you don't necessarily have that difference making quarterback in Daniel Jones. So I think prioritizing those receiving weapons and not focusing on the offensive line was a big issue. I think you had to add receivers. I was fine with adding receivers, but when you completely overlook the offensive line, like they did, they shot themselves in the foot. Yeah. You nailed it. Like we said at the top of the podcast, I didn't want to spoil it, uh, but it's true. We, you know, we knew this lesson, Nick. We've been huge proponents on the Big Blue Bander podcast and will continue to be that you win in the NFL with three things, at least in my mind. I mean, I'm not going to speak for you, but in my mind, you win with three things. You win the battle of the trenches on both sides of the ball. Though the second one is let, um, it's not that I, I don't agree with it on the defense side of the ball. It's that you can find trench players in my mind without having to use massive assets. And that's not the case for the offensive line, in my opinion. Now, it's, some offensive lines are developed better than others, but for the most part, those tackles especially, you really need to go up top. And that, that, I mean, that can be argued for edge as well. But as far as the defense side of the ball, I have found other ways to win. Like, for example, the teams that are very secondary heavy and don't have exactly those alpha dogs have still found a way to be top five defenses. I don't know too many offenses that can't that don't field an offensive line, but have all the weapons in the world that can actually find success in the Giants. Like you said, we're a great example of that I know there were injuries. Gala didn't play a full season. Tony didn't play a full season. Barkley didn't play a full season. Daniel Jones didn't play a full season. Shepard as well. Really a lot of injuries to the skill group, but there were times where they were all on the field and there were times where they just didn't look. And even when there was just one missing, let's say, it just didn't look like what we had envisioned or what we had hoped for. And that's kind of what happens when you build the offense from the outside in. And that's why we are big believers in, or at least I am. There's three things that I think make a team, the trenches and the quarterback. And obviously the quarterback has its own weight. I believe the quarterback is number one by far, and nothing comes even close. You have to drop two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 tiers before you get to the next most important position on an NFL roster. Uh, but again, you just can't win building outside in. And so we learned this one, Nick. I'll agree with you, but... I think we already knew this lesson. Am I right? Yeah, especially when you, again, this all kind of centralizes around the fact that you overlook the offensive line as much as you did. And there are other points that kind of already point to that. So I don't want to dive too deep into that right now. We'll get to it throughout this podcast. And as I said earlier as well, like you needed to invest in the wide receiver position. I had no issue with you investing into the wide receiver position to surround Daniel Jones with the weapons that he needed. But when you don't have any time to throw the football, you're not going to be able to utilize those weapons. And that's unfortunately what we saw in 2021. Yep. No doubt about it. All right. Let me get to my first lesson that I learned. One thing I take away from the, the number one thing I take away from the 2021 season. And I fell back into this trap, Nick, and it's, Will Hernandez is not the long-term answer on the interior. I somehow found a way to fall back into the Hernandez trap. It's a trap that kept catching me for three straight years now after, you know, he was actually really good for a rookie, his 2018 season. Like, really freaking good. I believe he was the 12th best rated guard from Pro Football Focus. We don't love to go by PFF rankings by any means, but it just goes to show he was obviously, I mean, it gives you some frame of reference. And the film spoke for itself. Like, he was pretty solid on film as a rookie. And that's... Like you always say, Nick, and you're so right about progression is not always linear. And his he's been going downhill for a while. I thought, you know, maybe just maybe year two, 
in a system that should fit him better, power and gap. But we did kind of go over in the offseason. Well, he is boxy in his movement. He's very boxy. For, for somebody who should be such a good run blocker on the move, he's just not. And then the inconsistencies in the passing game continue to show up. I was hoping that the COVID situation he dealt with last year, because I've heard from a lot of athletes, uh, you know, Jason Tatum, who's in much better shape than Will Hernandez, he's a basketball player. For, from a lot of athletes, they just couldn't breathe for a while after getting COVID, especially the first um, variant of COVID. And I thought that might be, you know, he comes back from COVID this year, fully healthy, fully over that, in the best shape of his career. There was all the offseason talk about the shape he got into and the weight, the position he put his body in to have a great season. And it just wasn't there. You know, it just, he was not the answer at all. He proved himself to be the opposite. Not only is he not the long-term answer, I don't even think he's really somebody you can count on as a depth piece, as a backup swing guard. So unfortunately, that's my first lesson that I learned from the 2021 season. Entirely too unfortunate as well. I mean, this guy was just incredibly undisciplined with his play. He committed eight penalties this season, which was, I believe, more than any of the other seasons combined, if I'm not mistaken. He allowed 36 pressures per pro football focus, and his inability to just pick up simple TE and ET stunts was really amazing, to be honest. It was eye-opening to how inept he was at such a simple task for an interior offensive lineman. Obviously, they're disguised well. I'm not saying that you know you or I could step in there and do that, but somebody who's in this fourth season should be able to pick up a stunt like that. It seemed like he wasn't even aware they were coming despite a penetrator you know, running right into his right side. He just wasn't even cognizant of the fact that there could be the looper coming right in through the a gap and that's you know an indictment on his processing to be honest will hernandez evan ingram there's a lot of them who just were selected high and never lived up to the billing unfortunately and you know it's just time for will hernandez to have a fresh start and the giants to find somebody to play competent football along the offensive line yeah you're right and you know what it's so interesting to me nick it's that there are other busts, obviously, in the Dave Gettleman era, and there are other egregious decisions made, but this one will always stick out to me, the Hernandez one, because the decision to draft Barkley is just a is a classic, just, you know, bad process mistake that Gettleman made. But this one is not bad process. Like, drafting a guard at 34 can be great. It can be super valuable, especially because, you know, there's a lot of people who still subscribe to the old process of you can't take interior offensive line early. And that pushes talented players down the draft board. Eric, you know, McCoy was drafted in the second round. Creed Humphrey was drafted late this year. And it's an ultimate stud immediately for the chiefs. And a lot of interior linemen have hit in that range, the 30 to 55, 60 range. And so just to miss on an eval this bad, it just stings because all he's going to leave us with almost nothing from so many draft classes and so much draft capital with the exception of maybe uh, hopefully McKinney, maybe Ojolari, and some stuff from this class, and then obviously Andrew Thomas. But if he had just left us with a typical pick you would get at 34, even if he had taken the guy drafted right after him, Braden Smith, we would have had a long-term right tackle for 15 years with Braden Smith. Or, you know, Wyatt Teller. You could have reached, quote-unquote, on Wyatt Teller. Would have been seen as a massive reach at the time and ultimately would have been looked at now as one of the greatest evaluations Dave Gettleman ever made because everyone said he was a late round guy, day three guy. He took him early and he's amazing. So it wouldn't always sting for me because if he had just given us one more lineman right now, if the Giants just had two offensive linemen instead of one, they would be in such a better position. So that's a tough one for me, but give me your second uh, lesson from the 2021 season. 
Yeah, the Wyatt Teller one is is interesting because he wasn't even selected by the Cleveland Browns. He was drafted by the Buffalo right. Bills. So they missed on on that eval as well. And he just, I mean, it could be coaching, could be a lot of things that really unlocked him. But, you know, good for him to be a late round pick that ended up materializing into one of the better interior offensive linemen in the league. But in terms of my second thing, it would be continuity for continuity's sake isn't always the right answer. And obviously I'm talking about Jason Garrett. Now we, everybody who covers the Giants, anybody with eyes knew that Jason Garrett's 2020 system was pretty stale. We liked the fact that they were able to establish the run once they inserted Shane Lemieux into the left guard position. They had a little bit of success doing that, but they still couldn't move the football. And we criticized and chastised the offense, Dan, because they finished 31st in the league in scoring and 31st in yards, only in front of the New York Jets, who are pathetic, as we know. Well, we didn't think it could get much worse, but it got significantly worse in 2021. And I believe bringing him back just because we were like Daniel Jones in his second year in the system, like similar, like what I just talked about, prioritizing the receiving weapons, you bring them in, they're going to make the system better. In theory, that makes sense, but the system was broken to begin with. So I think keeping that system was a mistake and it was a mistake that ultimately ruined 2021 and possibly cost Joe Judge's job. Yep. You nailed this one, Nick. And it's, we're not, I'm not trying to do it. I told you so. I really am not. We mean, Nick, you know, you could look back at our track record and evaluate it yourself. Just look back at the podcast from last draft. We were onto a lot of good things, but one thing that we knew the whole time was it's not better to prioritize continuity and giving that quarterback a second year in a system than it is to find a system that fits that quarterback and fits all of the players on this roster. Not only does Jason Garrett's system not fit Daniel Jones, the quarterback, it didn't fit Kenny Galladay. It was supposed to, but it didn't. There were no one, there was no, you know, we didn't come after, you know, we didn't look at these all 22 game plans like that was a great game plan today for Kenny Galladay. We got him in some really good matchups one-on-one and they took advantage of that. He didn't do it for Evan Ingram. We know that he used him as poorly as you could possibly use that player. And in my mind, he didn't really do it for Darius Tony either. He tried some things to get Tony involved. There were times I was like, that was good, Garrett. But it wasn't like part of the entire game plan. And of course, finally, Saquon Barkley, no expansion of the screen passing game that worked. No usage of him on very rare usage of him on anything like Texas routes or wheel routes. A couple wheel, wheel routes here and there he did use, but not enough. Not enough Texas routes. Not enough ways to get him matched up in an advantageous position as a receiver. So not only did it not fit the quarterback, it didn't fit. The, the rest of the team as well, Nick, like you said. And again, it's just another example of a point being proven right. Continuity is not better than finding a better system that fits these players. And the Giants learned that the hard way this season to the point where they made a decision in season to fire a coach, which they do not do often. They certainly did not want to do to a guy like Jason Garrett, who John Mayer has a personal close relationship with, which just goes to show you how dire they felt the situation was and how much they regret, I'm sure they felt, with the decision to keep him. And so that's a great number two. My number two would be the Giants aren't ready for a 10-win season. I cut off there. Not necessarily ready for a 10-win season. I'm going to say the Giants don't have the cast in place to currently, now keyword currently, Nick, for a functional passing game. That's something I learned this season. That was probably, I did put Hernandez first just because I still had hope. But this was probably the biggest takeaway for me, Nick, and the thing I learned the most because I did go into this season thinking the passing game would be functional. I didn't think, I wasn't going to come in thinking that Galladay, Tony, and Jones' progression and the system year two and whatever they can get out of the offense line was going to lead to something like, I don't know, a top five or top 10 offense. I wasn't delusional, but I thought that it would be competent. 
I thought it would be functional. I didn't think it would be the least functional passing game in the entire NFL. And that's exactly what it was. The least functional or one of the three least functional passing games. And what that means is they don't currently have the, the, the team in place, the cast in place to have a functional passing game. How do you fix that? That's the question the new GM is going to ask himself. And he's going to want to get that fixed sooner rather than later. He's not going to be like, eh, it's okay. We can go one more year without this. No, 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 no. You cannot have a dysfunctional passing game like that again for 2022. You need to do whatever you can to try to make it functional. And that may be adding talent on the offensive line, right? That may be getting better health out of your receivers. That may be giving Daniel Jones an offensive coordinator that better fits his skill set and can simplify things for him again to make it easier for him. All of that may be the case, Nick. Or, of course, there's the fourth option. It may just be they need to upgrade quarterback. All four are in play. One of those four things or all of those four things may need to be addressed to improve this offense. But what I learned this year, Nick, was this is not a functional passing game. And the cast that it's in place right now, if you had to walk it back next year and just this exact cast, this would not be a functional passing game. Thank God they have the two draft picks. Thank God they're going to be able to clear some cap space with some of these cuts to hopefully bring in offensive linemen that can help them out. But as it is right now, this is not the cast in place for a functional passing game. No, it is not, but I do believe a new offensive coordinator that's going to give you a new identity, a totally new playbook, new ter terminology, just a completely different outlook on what can actually happen. Now, the cast is still going to be the same, but the play caller will be different, which could lead to a, a more stable just approach from everything. I mean, coaching is, is huge in the NFL, as we saw during Super Wild Card Weekend. It's gigantic. So hopefully, whoever they bring in to be the offensive coordinator, they can really stabilize this just tumultuous situation. Yeah, you nailed it. What's your number three? All right. My number three is this. It can get worse. And I alluded to this before, <laughs> but it's just it can get worse. And hopefully, this is not something that can be assigned to the next coach and the next general manager. Because as I said a little bit earlier, we all thought 2020 was a disaster. 31st ranked offense, 31st ranked defense. It really can't get much lower. Well, it got lower. They averaged less points. They averaged less yards on offense. And the offense was absolutely unwatchable. Look, I watched so much of the 2020 film. I watched way too much of the 2021 film. And the 2020 offense was significantly better. And they each had injuries with Daniel Jones, their star or their quarterback. I shouldn't say star, but their quarterback got injured both times. Colt McCoy, yeah, it wasn't impressive. He couldn't push it down the field, but he could at least run an offense. Mike Glennon couldn't do that at all. Jake Fromm couldn't do that at all. It was unwatchable, as we've said so many times. So the third thing I learned, unfortunately, was when it's really, really bad, that hole can get deeper and deeper and it can get worse. What's going on, everyone? Football is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Giants tickets anymore because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as you go to find NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge. Aren't those terrible? Which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's a pretty good deal. If you just want to go check out the Giants, you know, pregame, hopefully they win a football game, then Please head on over to TickPick.com today to save $10 on your first order of Giants tickets. That's TickPick.com. Check it out, everyone.
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's 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 drastic and it's obviously not the most optimistic take. None of ours have been. But what do you want from us? I mean, you guys watched it. There's no way to be too optimistic about the things we learned in a 2021 season. So you got to tell it like it is. And you're right, Nick. It is that way. It somehow could get worse. I didn't. I didn't think it was possible. I guess this is a good barometer for me in the season, and a good lesson to learn is is that it's it can always get worse, right? Like you said, there's always the take, like, oh, it can't possibly get worse. Well, it was, and we went over some of the reasons why already, so I don't want to harp back on them, but. You know, you're right. It's something to keep in mind, like when you're expecting progression as we move forward. Like they drafted this guy, they added this guy. Well, that may not be enough to put them over the top and get them to be an improved team. And that's something we learned this offseason. All right. My third one, Nick, is the Giants may have found a unicorn player in safety Xavier McKinney. Now, I say may have found because I still want to see a little bit more consistency, but McKinney came close to seven interceptions this year. I think it was seven or eight. He finished with five. And what I mean by unicorn player is this. Since the days of Kenny Phillips, I've always kind of discussed my liking for finding a safety who can play the deep half role on his own in middle of the field closed looks as the single high. And that's something the Giants haven't had for a very long time now. They tried it at times with James Betcher, and it was laughably bad. They had Antoine Bethea back there, which was unbelievably bad. Bethea was bad in coverage, but in my mind, even worse as a third-level run tackler. His tackling at the third level was awful. And McKinney brings something completely different to the mix. And I consider that to be, I consider these guys unicorn players because you can't find many of them around the NFL. And what they allow you to do is play those single high looks with the safety up top. And that gives you so many more options as a coordinator to either blitz more or to double team down on the player who's going to get the ball, who you expect to get the ball or to be the first look for the quarterback in a read to then throw the, you know, throw the rhythm off, throw the timing off for the quarterback, things of that nature. And this year, there were times where a quarterback saw the look that he thought was advantageous to him, right? He sees only McKinney back there. He sees where McKinney's lined up. He's like, I got enough space to make this throw. 
Jalen Hurts. I got enough space to make this throw. Derek Carr. Well, guess what? And there are a few others, obviously. Well, guess what? You didn't have the space to make the throw. McKinney covered the ground. He took a great angle to the ball, and he made a play on it. One of them, one or two of them didn't result in interceptions, but most of them did. And so he makes me excited about this team moving forward because when you have the ability to have confidence in that single high look and confidence with that safety back there, it gives you so many more options as a coordinator. Yeah, throw Taylor Heineke's name in there as well. I mean, when you're a quarterback facing a defensive back like Xavier McKinney in middle of the field closed looks you have single highs man coverage everywhere else you may like the matchup of a cornerback against your wide receiver your stud wide receiver when you're that quarterback you have to hold Xavier McKinney for a decent amount you have to get his hips committed to the direction where you're not going to throw so you take your snap you're hitting your three-step or whatever you're going to do your eyes and your shoulders and your feet and your hips are directed to the left but you really want to go to the right so then you have to snap everything get your eyes on your target and find the leverage that your star receiver presumably has on the cornerback whoever's covering him and then throw the football but you have to wait and you have to be patient because you have to manipulate that single high safety in Xavier McKinney because he has that game-changing range to cover the ground. And you know what? Down the stretch of the season, he really started showing it more and more. I felt like earlier in the season, there were some mental lapses where I was like, Xavier McKinney, why aren't you carrying that receiver down the field? Like that is your assignment right there. Why are you looking towards the number one whose assignment is the outside boundary cornerback over there? Like your assignment is the guy streaking up the middle of the field. What are you doing? But that didn't happen as much towards the end of the season. And I feel like from a mental standpoint, he really developed and not, I don't really believe he ever had mental issues, but he did have some lapses in coverage. Didn't necessarily see that down the stretch. And I think he does have that game-changing ability. So I'm really excited to see what Xavier McKinney can do for whoever the defensive coordinator is. I think that's a great point, Nick, and it's one I missed. And it's what we saw early in the season on the film. He was having some mental lapses. They weren't egregious, but he wasn't the player we thought he would be early on. I remember us even saying it, like, what's going on here? And then it seems like something clicked for him as the season went on, and then it, he never looked back. From that point on, from the base of that Raiders game on, he never looked back. And we have to remember, this was really his rookie season. He, I know he was there last year, but with that broken foot, He's getting the mental reps, quote unquote. I'm not a huge believer in the mental reps. You need the physical reps. And he's was out there for more games this year, started to see it more, started to understand things more, obviously felt much more confident within his own rights in Patrick Graham's system. And as you said, it clicked at some point and he never looked back. So that is even more of a reason to believe that this isn't the best. You know, we haven't seen, in my mind, the peak of McKinney. I think he can honestly evolve into an all-pro player at the safety position. I honestly do feel that way. I know it seems a little crazy. It seems a little hyperbolic or hyper hyperbolic. Is that how you say it? Hyperbolic. Hyperbolic. You could say, say hyper. It depends on what like the term you want to use. It could be hyperbole or hyperbolic. Yeah, I mean, his corp, the corpse, the, the corpse thing. <laughs> it's it's it. thrown me off completely. I'm second-guessing everything I say. But listen, I know it sounds hyperbolic, but based on what I saw this year and how important that role is in my mind to a defense, and again, really, he was a few misses away from being top three in interceptions this year, in addition to what he does in the run game, because he clicks and closes a lot on on short passes to the bub those bubble screens, stuff to the outside. He plays a big role in that as well. And I saw him get really physical in the box a couple times. And so he can match up in the slot too. He does a lot of different things. He may do one thing best in my mind, and that's playing that deep role for the Giants, that deep half role, but good because they need someone there and they haven't had someone there in a while. So I'm super excited about him moving forward. Give me your fourth thing that you took that you learned from the season. 
Yeah, he's a stud in that single high role. So my fourth thing, and this is something that Dan and I, we said during the offseason as well, coaching hubris on the offensive line was a huge mistake. And depth was always an issue. Now, we didn't know if, if that hubris, that confidence, that overly confident, teetering on arrogant sense of, hey, we have the offensive linemen. We're more confident about our offensive linemen in the building than you guys are in the media. We didn't know if it was going to be a huge mistake. But we said, hey, if you're stating these things now, you better be right. And they were colossally wrong. Like betting to me on Matt Parrott was always a problem when you knew this kid's temperament. This guy was comfortable with allowing Nate Solder to be the starter. He doesn't have that dog, man. And Rob Sale said that midseason, but they should have knew that about him and not had him in their 2021 plans. He should have been the swing tackle along with Nate Solder. So going into a season with a combination of a guy who doesn't really have that drive or that want and Nate Solder on as your right tackle, but Daniel Jones as your quarterback is a recipe for a disaster. And we said too, man, you would get one injury along the offensive line, you are screwed. Well, Shane Lemieux partially tore his patellar tendon early in training camp and was done. It was all downhill from there. The fact that they believed they could coach up the Will Hernandez's and the Matt Parrots of the world was a mistake. And then when you start getting into the cycling of the Wes Martins and the Matt Scurras and all of these other names into the equation, it was an absolute unmitigated disaster. Coaching hubris was a big problem. They ignored the offensive line. We brought this up before and it was a gigantic mistake to the 2021 Giants. Yep. <laughs> like you said, Nick, and it's interesting about that point because we went into the season and this offseason with a lot of hype and hope for Rob Sale. Like, you know, all the things we read about him, the work he had done in the past. Oh, we're getting an upgrade here. We're getting an upgrade here. Well, that's not necessarily always the case. And like you said, there's a lot of coaching hubris. There's a lot of belief that they can turn these players around. But part of it is a lot of these players, they drafted to play certain roles. Like Matt Parrott was drafted and expected to take over as the starter. When they went into the OTAs last year, it wasn't Nate Solder, right tackle with the first team offense on day one. It was Matt Parrott. And he was so bad in their minds, the coaches' minds, obviously he didn't get along at all with Rob Sale, that they had to put Solder in. And that's despite the fact that Solder is what we saw on film and on the broadcast angle, we all of you saw, and even with any pair of eyes saw, in practice as well. Like, he was like that in OTAs. Probably worse. Like, he probably worked his body into better shape as he went along. So that just goes to show, like, if you're benching Matt Parrott, there's, for, for Nate Solder, he, I mean, you really made a mistake there in that evaluation, and that belief that you could turn him into a starter during this offseason, which is what they did. And so you're right on that, and it did impact the season. For me, the fourth key takeaway that I learned was that they really do lack both depth and starters at the inside linebacker position. I understand a lot of NFL minds think that you shouldn't invest in inside linebacker. It's the least important position on the defense. You know, it's viewed in many ways as the center of the offense, which I actually think is an incredibly important position. But everyone says you don't draft centers early. Okay. You don't draft linebacker inside backers. You need these two down three linebackers early. But when you do that, and when you don't draft them at all, not just early, because we didn't even want them early. We wanted Logan Wilson a couple classes ago. We wanted Akeem Davis Gaither. We talked about a lot of different day three inside backers that me and Nick loved in the past two draft classes, which they didn't even sniff or consider. And when you don't even take any of these guys on day three, you're left with one injury and you're screwed. And that's what the Giants were this season. One injury to Blake Martinez in week two, and they were freaking screwed because Tay Crowder, God bless him. He's a hard worker. 
know he was Mr. Irrelevant, so it seems like he was a good value, but he's not a starting linebacker in the NFL. If you watch the tape, he was consistently one of the worst players on the defense, and he played every single snap because they had no other options. They cycled in guys. They picked up Jalen Smith off the street, played him for a few games, and he weirdly looked like one of their best options. That's how bad their depth was at the inside linebacker position. They had no one to speak of after Blake Martinez. And so I don't want to ever see that happen again. I want to invest day three in an inside backer. Even day two, I would take if they like a guy there. I'd even be convinced day one if there's some kind of unbelievable prospect or if they trade back. Because you know what? I believe in the importance of that position. I think the Bucks are a good example of why that position can be can still be very valuable to a roster. And there are other teams as well. The 49ers, to me, with Fred Warner on the field versus Fred Warner not on the field are a massive difference. The Seattle Seahawks with Bobby Wagner on the field versus Bobby Wagner not on the field are a massive difference. There's other examples as well. So for me, Nick, that's one that I'm going to go into this offseason thinking. I know everyone's talking edge. I know everyone's talking offensive line is the main needs. Inside backer is up there for me. Yeah, and if there's one inside backer who, if the Giants do trade back or if they really want to get aggressive and possibly select in the first round, it would be Georgia's N'Kobe Dean, which we all saw during the national championship game. If you watched it, he was number 17 out there. He was an absolute stud. Georgia has a long lineage of just stud linebackers that go into the NFL and translate really well. So it's a name to monitor. Obviously, the Giants have a ton of needs, so I'm not advocating for that 100%. But from what I've seen, and I haven't studied his film extensively, I've really liked the athletic ability, the pursuit, and all of the leadership qualities I hear about from a player like N'Kobe Dean. I'm wondering if the Giants are going yeah, <laughs> to no Dave Gettleman here, no Patrick Graham, Joe Judge. How many players will they select out of Georgia this season? <laughs> Another Georgia. Yeah, just keep ripping off the Georgia players. Why not? Right. Maybe, but, you know, change of guard, new GM, new defense, new, new system. That might change, but who knows? Exactly. So my fifth one, Dan, is the Giants didn't run more man coverage with the addition of a Dory Jackson but they did run it more consistently in the right situations. And what I mean by that is they were running man coverage, not extensively, but quite often in third and four and short situations around there, you know, third and six situations, they would dabble with that as well. And anytime they were in the red zones or anytime they were within the 20 yard line to the goal line, they loved running man coverage. They would usually buzz both their safeties down, eliminate the middle of the field. If the opposing offense had threats like Travis Kelsey, Tyree kill Darren Waller, they would double coverage with inside leverage there. And they would trust their outside cornerbacks in one-on-one matchups against whoever was outside. So I really liked the game plan that Patrick Graham would utilize in those areas of the field. But we didn't see a huge uptick in man coverage like we kind of thought because the Dolphins, when Patrick Graham was their defensive coordinator, ran a lot of man coverage. It's Brian Flores' thing. He comes to the Giants and they're predominantly his own team. We thought the addition of Dory Jackson would lead them to running more man coverage in, in situations that weren't just third and short and goal line. That didn't necessarily happen. And it's all well and good. And I also just want to touch on Dory Jackson. I also think he's somebody that no one really talks about. I think he had an excellent season this year when he was on the football field. Not a lot of people are talking about him. He only had the one interception, but after watching all the all 22, some of the plays he made on the ball, some of the ways he eliminated receiving targets when it looked like they could be open, he's a special type of player. I'm completely with you on that. I've, you know, wax poetic about Adoree Jackson on the all 22s from weeks one through, I don't know, eight or basically until he got injured. I was waxing poetic about him being the guy. I even focused on him on a few of those all 22 breakdowns. And he was my favorite player to watch on film. It does. It's not flashy. It's not like he's jumping routes for interceptions. He's not Trayvon Diggs in the world, but you know what? Diggs got caught. 
You know, he's the, that type of corner. Like he got caught against Brandon Ayuk this past week and got just totally destroyed guessing. And so that's not the type of player Dory Jackson is. He just stays in phase and coverage. And there were so many examples of him on deep routes, carrying, carrying the deep route. And that's just something I don't see from anyone else on this Giants roster and haven't seen from anyone else on this Giants roster in a really, really long time. Even at his peak, Janoris Jenkins, Jenkins wasn't exactly carrying deep routes. And the same could be said for basically anyone, but maybe. Dominique Rogers Camardi like that wasn't the the P that wasn't the um how do I say this that wasn't exactly what Jenkins was best at and it doesn't also wasn't exactly what like someone like Corey Webster was best at but it's a super valuable thing to be good at and I think Adore Jackson didn't get enough credit for how good he was this season before the injury obviously tried to come back and it wasn't you know it wasn't great hopefully he was injured by the way early on like he's probably playing through this injury since he injured himself in that preseason game it probably was never fully recovered so full off season of health I think he's going to be an asset. He's one of those contracts. I'm actually happy they signed. Like I was never happy with the Logan Ryan when they resigned him. I was one of the only people who said that I, that was going to look bad in the end. And I stand by that. And I don't like that contract right now. Wasn't happy with pushing back Shepard's contract. There were some things that we weren't happy about Kyle Rudolph, but as far as Jackson goes, splurging on Jackson, that's one I can look at right now. And I know you're with me on this, Nick and be like, okay, I'm really happy. He's young enough. His contract isn't horrible. It's not like the craziest cornerback contract in the world. He's young enough. He can still improve on his game to the point where that contract can even become somewhat of a value, as you see a lot of these corners resign for big bucks. And I think that overall, that's a good signing. That's somebody who they can be excited about moving forward to have a part of the, as part of their franchise. Absolutely. And that was also a market value contract they gave him. It was similar to what William Jackson signed with Washington, with Shaq Griffin. <clears throat> excuse me, with Shaq Griffin signed with Jacksonville as well. And I know we don't always go by pro football focus grades, but he was 10th in coverage grade among all cornerbacks. And he had a 55.7 reception percentage, which was, I believe, in the top 15 as well when you make it, you know, 20% of the snaps. Cornerbacks who played 20% or 50% of the snaps. So, I mean, he's a, he's a player that I, I'm glad the Giants have as well. He checks out on the film, checks out according to these little analytics from pro football focus as well. Yeah, for sure. And I much rather have him than Shaq Griffin or William Jackson right now. And I think fans of the right, uh, the football team and fans of the Jaguars would tell you the exact same thing without even having to see it. Rory Jackson play. Absolutely, man. What you got for five for number five, unfortunately, after uh, I guess I had one positive one in here. I'm trying to find positive ones. The McKinney one was super positive. But for number five, it's back to the negative, unfortunately. Darius Slayton is not the late round gem we thought he could be. You know, when Slayton was first drafted after that rookie season, we were like, holy shit, Dave Gettleman found someone really late and he found a gem late. And a lot of the things that got me excited about Slayton early on in his Giants career, they don't show up on tape as much anymore. He was winning off the line of scrimmage as a rookie. And he was showing traits that we thought could be developed from that standpoint. Like he wasn't somebody who was that great at that at college. And we're like, Oh crap. He made such a big jump so fast with his ability to win quick and to create separation quick, right off the line of scrimmage. That hasn't been the case as much. We've seen some routes. I remember going over one late in the year that Daniel Jones threw off target to him. and um, wasn't able to make the catch where he made a really good uh, transition at the top of his break to create separation on, I think it was like a 10 yard comeback or curl. But there was, wasn't the same amount of that as we saw that rookie season. Like, you know, that slant versus the Jets where he broke, where, you know, famously broke that guy's ankles. And there was a game, there was a route he ran against the Bucks, I believe, from his rookie season as well. Uh, that really looked great on tape. But that the wasn't route, the case. I'm sorry, the, go ahead. 
Sorry to cut you off the route against Xavier Rhodes one uh, yes. against the Vikings too. The that Vikings. A, oh my yes. God. That one was like, holy shit. Did they find a wide receiver one in round five? Like there was, a, I know we were not saying that, but we, and we never probably thought that was the case, Nick, but we were at least thinking like this guy could be at worst, a, a really high end wide receiver too. Uh, yes. But that just hasn't been the case. And I think part of the issue is the quarterback inconsistency and the offensive line inconsistency and the, and the passing game being so dysfunctional. I think a functional passing game would make every single one of these receivers look a lot better. And our opinions on every single one of these receivers would be a lot different. But it's also on him as well, because some of the things that you can evaluate on film, they're not getting better. And the drops, they're not getting better. The concentration lapses, they're not getting better. And he's not necessarily a great blocker on the outside either. So with all that factored in, I no longer kind of view him as a late round gem. I'm not even really sure I view him as somebody who won't be cut this preseason. That's a that's an interesting take, and I don't think it's one that's outlandish. I ultimately think he'll make the team. I think the Giants need some pass catchers, even though they invested huge in the wide receivers last offseason. It really depends on whoever comes in to be the head coach. And you have a cheap contract and a player who has a solid resume for, for an NFL player, especially one that was a fifth-round pick. So ultimately, I think he'll be here. But I don't view him as the building block that I once viewed him as. Yeah. That's fair. All right, give me your number six. Yeah, man. Another year, and we're still uncertain about Daniel Jones. Now, with the departure of Joe Judge, Dave Gettleman, I believe a lot of Giant fans, myself included, we don't think Daniel Jones will be the long-term solution here. But what I'm uncertain about is if Daniel Jones can still be an above-average quarterback on a consistent level. And I'm not even really necessarily pointing to the fact that he's injured every season so far in his career, but we haven't necessarily seen a consistent stretch of play from Daniel Jones. There's a ton of variables that aren't within Daniel Jones's control as to why that's happened. His injuries, his teammates injuries, the fact that Jason Garrett was his play caller and offensive coordinator for two years. None of those things really assisted Daniel Jones. He had a poor deck of cards, but that still leaves me uncertain as to if Daniel Jones can be the guy. Now, I don't think he's going to be the guy for the New York Giants, basically no matter what, unless he blows just the doors off of 2022 because the new head coach is probably going to want his own guy. The new general manager is probably going to want to pick his own guy. And nobody's really tied to Daniel Jones in this organization outside of ownership. And I don't think ownership is going to come down and be like, oh yeah, you're tied to Daniel Jones. It's not going to be the case. So the fact that we're still uncertain after 2021, and that was the big question heading into 2021, isn't necessarily a great thing for Daniel Jones right now. Yeah, I mean, we're not going to I'm probably not going to dive too far into Jones on this because we're going to do a full podcast on Daniel Jones and the state of Daniel Jones soon after all the GM and the head coach stuff clears up. But I will say this on just kind of the macro level. What you said is true, and that's the thing that we were looking for most consistency, right? When he had that great start to the season, I do think he really showed a great start in the season through week four. It looked okay. It looked like he was starting to get better. I'm not going to go by the stupid PFF grade because I think it's trash for quarterback play. I think it has Mac Jones is like one of the best quarterbacks of the season. Like it, val- it, it values short passing way too highly, the PFF grade and completions way too highly. So I'm not going by that. And also there was some weird stuff going on with them not charting things as big time throws that should have been big time throws. I'm just not going to trust like basically guys who are paid $12,000 or less a year to, 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 put grades on teams. It just doesn't make sense to me, but he did have a better start to this season. And he was for that four game stretch showing in my mind consistency. He was, he did a really good job against Washington. 
Denver wasn't as great, but I thought he played okay against Denver, and they just couldn't score. Washington was really good. Atlanta was okay, but they couldn't score. That I don't know if it was on Jones or Garrett. And then it was really good against the Saints. But then there was a long stretch of not-so-good play. And there's been long stretches of not-so-good play dating all the way back to and including the 2019 season, which goes down as the most misremembered season by Giants fans, who always like to point to how good Jones was. But outside of the touchdown total and a few big games where he padded the yardage stats against really bad defenses, some of whom had quit, but Washington wasn't playing for that coach, he had a long stretch of inconsistent play as well. He was terrible against Minnesota in that year. He was terrible against a lot of the good defenses he faced that year. And again, the key thing that you brought up, Nick, is the consistency. We need to see 8 to 12, maybe more game, straight games of good quarterback play. And by good quarterback play, we're not pointing to the stats. We're not stats, guys. We want to see him making faster reads. We want to see him processing better post-snap. We want to see him getting them into better situations pre-snap. We want to see him navigating the pocket better, sliding, resetting, finding different angle, uh, finding different pockets for him to make throws from. We want to see him doing a much better job of throwing off-balance from an off-balance base. One of the worst things, one of the things that Daniel struggle the most with is throwing off-platform. And you're going to have to throw off-platform in the NFL. You're just going to have to do it. There's not going to be a perfect situation where you get to throw from a balanced base and, you know, rely on the mechanics that you were taught by Cutcliffe, one of your calling cards at this point for Daniel Jones, as far as the traits goes for me. You're not going to have a chance to do that every single play. That's just not the NFL anymore. And so I want to see more consistency with the traits. I want to see more consistency with the production as well. And that's something we didn't get to see this season. And like you said, there are a lot of mitigating factors to that, which is why, you know, the Giants have limited options this offseason. The best one might just be, especially given the price point, you know, they won't have to use any draft picks to acquire Daniel Jones. They won't have to use any free agent money or cap space to acquire Daniel Jones. That's not already on the roster. And they won't have to use any, uh, and they won't have to, you know, trade any players, let's say, to do it. So he still might be their best option, but I think you're right. We just didn't see the consistency there. And so that was a great bonus one for you. I'll give you my final bonus thing we learned, and then we'll wrap it up here. My bonus thing here, Nick, is that the Giants still need an alpha one-on-one pass rusher. Now, those are hard to find. They're not in every draft class, though this draft class has two of them, neither of who I think the Giants will have an opportunity to select, unfortunately, but two locked-in bona fide guys. But they still need that because I'm not saying you need to build your defense like that, but I am saying that on those third long, third and long situations, it is great to have somebody who can just win one-on-one, even if that might be from the interior, like an Aaron Donald, or like we saw from Jeffrey Simmons this year, who was so excellent on the interior as a pass rusher one-on-one. I wasn't seeing enough of that from Leonard Williams. I know part of it is that he's double teamed, but it's not the whole story. Not seeing, I wasn't seeing anywhere near enough of that from Dexter Lawrence. And same thing goes for Zizo Jalari and the edge guys. A little bit toward the end with Lorenzo Carter, a little bit of that, but even that was not what we need to see. And so they still kind of need that alpha pass rusher to get them over the top in big playoff games and big third and long types of obvious passing down situations. Yes, they do. And they will have an opportunity possibly to select one with the fifth overall pick this year. There's a couple of nice pass rushers that we'll be going over extensively in the upcoming weeks and months heading up to the draft. Man, I'm really excited about that. And I think you are right, by the way. The Giants do need that stud pass rusher. I like Aziz Ojolari. Lorenzo Carter may not be there. Quincy Roche, you know, whatever you get from him is a bonus. And that was something that we should at least give a little praise to Dave Gettleman for was plucking him off of the Steelers practice squad. But I think you need that bona fide number one. I'm not 100% certain if Aziz Ojolari is that, but I think he could be a really good 1B. 
and some, one that can really just feast on one-on-one matchups if there was another pass rusher on that line to worry about on the outside. Yeah. Someone not named Leonard Williams, who again is still a, a stud on the interior. But if you were to add, if they had, if they could add an Aiden Hutchinson or a Kayvon Thibodeau, something like that, this would be a, a lot of fun to watch, especially if they have some of these more creative defensive minds calling plays, a Wink Martindale or a Brian Flores. Yeah, exactly. And like, I still am with you. I have high hopes for Aziz Ojolari, but for me, he's more of a floor than ceiling type prospect for the Giants, in my personal opinion. He had a lot of sacks this year, Aziz, but he didn't actually have a really good pass rush win rate. And you could see it on the tape, too. And you could see on the broadcast angle as well. He wasn't someone who was quickly winning a lot in these one-on-one matchups. And I'm not saying that's who he'll always be. He's going to improve his pass rush repertoire. He's going to improve his hand. He's going to improve all the things that need to, uh, that, you know, that make you whatever you are. But some of it is quick twitch. Some of it is just natural ability as a pass rusher. And I, and I think, like you said, he can be an un, not an unbelievable. He can be a really quality one B. But I still feel like they need that one A. And so we'll see if that's this is the year they find one, or if that continues to be a, a need for them or a want for them. But that's all we have for today. These are the ten, or I should say, twelve things we learned about the Giants in 2021, or twelve things that came to our mind first. Let us know what you liked or what you, I'm sorry, I should say, learned about the season or something we missed. I'd love to discuss it with you on Twitter, Nick as well. Continue the conversation there. Thank you to everyone who continues to tune in to the Big Blue Banter podcast, everyone who's left us a rating and review. That helps us grow. That helps us move up the iTunes algorithm. Just know that you are helping us out by leaving us a five-star review. And so thank you to some of you, especially Andrew Owens, who left a long review um, and did mention, you know, uh, an interesting thing. He talked a little bit about what Seth Walder discussed earlier today about how the Giants should be looking at different types of GMs, kind of the accountant, mathematician type. So that was interesting. I will say this, JT Nix, you said I really love the pod, but I needed to say Dan needs to pump the brakes a little bit on dumping Jones this year. Well, I'll pump the brakes on you saying that because I did not say that, Daniel, that they need to dump Daniel Jones this year. All I said was that a new GM might have his own opinion on what to do at quarterback. I even said on this podcast, their best option is probably to keep Daniel Jones. So just keep that in mind. Yes, I have covered quarterbacks a lot. I've talked about them a lot. So is Nick. We both have the same belief. This team isn't going to a Super Bowl or winning a Super Bowl until they get a lot better quarterback play. That might be from Jones. We're not saying that's not the case. It's possible. But whoever it is, they need a lot better from the quarterback if they want to win a Super Bowl because that's just how the NFL is today. We're seeing it a lot. I mean, look at the games from that first playoff weekend, Nick. How about those games? Let's look at them. Let's just look at the overall view of this. You had a heroic performance in my mind from Josh Allen. Some people are saying it's the single greatest quarterback performance of all time, and I'm not so sure they're wrong. I believe I'm like, I, I tweeted about this. I'm like 90-something percent of the plays, Josh Allen made a play. He was 20 of 24, 12, over 12 yards per throw, and he ran the ball like six times for 66 yards. He was phenomenal in that game. Patrick Mahomes, phenomenal. You know, um, Joe Burrow, phenomenal. So you really do need that kind of phenomenal quarterback play. I think we'll see it. I think we're going to probably see another Super Bowl of Rodgers Mahomes or Brady Mahomes or Brady Allen, Rodgers Allen. And so we'll continue to see that moving forward, and hopefully the Giants can get to that point at the quarterback position as well. Anything else, Nick, before we wrap up? I just hope the Giants get to that point as well. I wish it was Daniel Jones. I mean, I'm not overly optimistic on that, but as you said, we will kind of dive into Daniel Jones more extensively on a future podcast. For sure. All right, guys, thank you again for listening. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon.